Hello and welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. You're listening to the podcast for people who want to learn about the government market from the contracting officer's perspective. If you are a contracting officer, we hope to give you a little more insight into industry's perspective. Today's episode is the third in our four-part series on the acquisition time zones. We get a little more into the details than we did in the earlier overview episodes. This episode is sponsored by the Skyway Connection. If you need help with the government market from a team of contracting officers, visit skywayacquisition.com connect. All right, let's get started. Hey, Kevin. Today's topic is the RFP zone. We're going to cover what the RFP zone is in our terms, what types of communication are allowed and happen between the government and industry during the RFP zone, what the government team is doing or should be doing during this zone, and what industry is doing or should be doing during the zone. Correct. And just to, to back up a second, so those of you who are stumbling on this podcast starting at this one, the acquisition time zones are the four zones that we use to talk about how the process works. So the first, the first zone is the requirement zone. The second zone is the market research zone. This third zone, which we're in for this podcast, is the RFP zone. And the fourth zone is the source selection zone. So go back and listen to podcast number two, I believe. It's called the acquisition time zones if you want to get the, the wave top level. But this is into the, into the weeds. Right. So there's... You could define these any way they want. We've always said RFP zone is from the day the RFP is released through the day the proposal is due. So prior, all the RFI, draft RFP, all the other kind of stuff that we talked about before is not in the RFP zone, and no proposal evaluation kind of stuff is in the RFP zone. We're talking just from day it's released, day the RFP is released, until proposal due date. So what kind of communications are are allowed here. So this is where communications get locked down. Formal communications only and through the contracting officer only. And that's important because unlike in the market research zone where the RFI and the draft RFP were open discussion, the the government was still trying to figure out how they're going to do everything and get what acquisition strategy they're actually going to use and how long is the contract going to be. All that kind of stuff was still in the air, right? It's no longer in the air. It's not, the decisions are made for the most part at this point. So getting all the communication to come through one location, make sure that the acquisition strategy doesn't get tinkered with. Right. This is where you got to keep the playing field level. So, so at, at this point, everybody is responding to the exact same request for proposal. And, one person can't go in and get something changed to their benefit at this point. This is where it's, it's locked in. Everybody gets to see all the information, and that's, that's important to say that. So there's usually a question and answer session available or a question and answer period available uh, after the RFP is released, but this is everybody's going to see your questions, and the answers – are published for everyone else to see. There's good reasons for that, but it, it does change the tenor of the questions that, that come in. And usually the, the time period is, is limited. It's short. And at the, at the front, like, like, you know, within a week after the RFP is released, questions are due. And the reason for that is you, you want to get answers in time to actually make a difference in your proposal without having to extend the due date. Because if, uh, if you ask questions three weeks into a one-month proposal preparation period, 
you get an answer the day before it's due, it doesn't, doesn't help you at all. And it can also create more problems because then you get into this issue of, oh, did the government answer all of my questions? Which questions didn't they answer? It, gets, it creates an accusatory environment. And that's the last thing you want is, is people thinking that, that there's nefarious behavior going on on one side or the other. So one of the best ways to do that is say, give me all your questions by this date. I will do my best to answer them by this date. And then as a contracting officer, you can always extend. But, but to your point, every time something extends, it pushes everything. You know, this just, just like a, a regular, this is a, supp a supply chain. Think of it like a supply chain. When one step, when the production guy doesn't do his, his particular step, it causes everything to slide. And oftentimes these acquisitions are, are lined up and racked and stacked, or at least the contract is expiring at a certain date. So why that's important to not have to extend it, why contracting officers don't normally want to extend it is because it creates third order magnitudes that you end up with a traffic effect where now you have all kinds of stuff that's all bottling it at the end of the fiscal year. Think of it that way. But yeah, that was my biggest frustration is that let's make a schedule that's realistic. And one of the best ways to do that is let's not extend the RFP another 30 days. Right, right. But some, sometimes you have to, right? So there, there could be something that just wasn't communicated well before the RFP came out that, that uh, where you have to, to make a change. And, and they, the way that a contracting officer does that is by issuing an amendment to the RFP. And the amendment may or may not extend the proposal due date. It just depends on how much it changes uh, what, the, what the offers are going to have to do. Um, the FAR actually says if the change is substantial, which means it, it, it exceeds what offers could have reasonably anticipated, the FAR actually says the CO shall cancel the solicitation. So they're, I, I think they're trying to trying to keep you from uh, making major changes at the last second that uh, make it impossible for industry to respond. Good point. So if you're a CO and you get a lot of questions on your RFP, don't take it personally. It doesn't mean that you screwed something up. It also doesn't mean that industry is trying to somehow um, trick you or, or game the system to, to gain a competitive advantage. You know, there's no, don't have a conspiracy theories about this stuff. Um, it also doesn't mean that industry is stupid. <laughs> if, if you get questions, most of the time industry is just doesn't understand exactly what you mean. And it is so important that they understand exactly what you mean in the RFP because they can get kicked out if they misunderstood something. So the, to me, the, the worst sin, and I've, I've seen this on both sides, I was, I probably probably did it as a CEO, but the worst sin is you you get a question and you go, I already said that. That's plain as day in section M. They should understand that. So the answer to the question is, you know, see section M six dot three dot two, and that helps industry none because they already read that section and didn't understand it. So what you need to do is is try to rephrase what, even if it's plain to you as the CO, you got to try to rephrase it. Try to say it in a different way or answer it in a way that, that allows them to ask another question if you didn't answer it right. But, but the worst thing you can do is just say, read it again, dummy, because if they ask the question, it means they didn't understand what you're saying. And so I'll tie this to the whole why of the podcast. And one of the whys is the system's all clogged up. People are going after stuff that, that's, that's, that's sucking up their time, being the offerer, and also the contracting officer's time. This is one of those moments where if they ask a question and you could answer it in, in a way that they go, wow, okay, we can't do that. Now that we understand what they want, we can't do that. And they don't bid. The way this could have gone 
if you don't answer that question very, very clearly. And I, and I, and I, I absolutely agree with you. I've been in those spots where I said, I said that. It, but this, this sentence is pretty clear. You know, it, it's, it is frustrating. And the way that I've wrapped my head around it is that if I can talk somebody out of bidding on this because they realize they can't win, how much time am I saving them, the offer, but okay, to be selfish as a contracting officer, I'm saving me because I don't have to review the proposal. And in a world where I see one of the biggest problems is too many proposals. Too many people are bidding on too many. Th- on, they see this and go, I can do this. I mean, that's a lot of the discussion we talk about here. This is one of those moments. So when they ask a question, it's because they want to clarify, do I understand this? And if they clearly don't understand it, and you want them to understand it because you really want them to realize, I, I can't win this. Because right. they send you a proposal, guess what? You just added another day of work to your life. Right. You're not trying to trick them out of bidding or trick them into bidding. You're just trying to make sure that they have the clearest understanding of whether or not it's worth their time and your time for them to bid. Exactly. And they yeah. can't make that decision if they don't clearly understand the situation. Yeah. So that's, this, is, this is one of the big uh, lessons learned for me is I didn't spend <laughs> time really digging into these answers and really pushing the issue of does everybody clearly understand this? Yeah. Because I, it, yeah, it, co- it just costs you so much more time later. Yeah, I was trying to go through, go through my, uh, my experiences to come up with a specific example of when I screwed this up and what I specifically said. And uh, I think I blocked all those out of my memory. I, I know I did. I'm, I'm positive that I, that I gave bad answers to, to questions before, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think I ditched those. <laughs> I, have, I have a couple of them, but I'm, I think it's better not to. Yeah. So one last thing on, <laughs> on questions. It's very important that you answer questions that the government side answers questions as soon as possible so that contractors have time to digest the information and get it into their proposals. If you give them 30 days to build their proposal and you give them a week to ask questions and then you take two weeks to answer the questions a week before the proposals due, contractors' proposals are almost or should be complete at that point. I mean they're getting ready to to do final pricing and and start printing and boxing and labeling and all that stuff a a week – it, if, if you answer a question that has a major change that or that causes really any change to the proposal content, it's it's really really tough on the industry side. So so faster is better. All right, enough on communications. <laughs> Real quick, ironically, yeah. <laughs> so what is a request for proposal? Um, I I did want to like get back to the the far. What what at a minimum has to be in a request for proposal? So it's the requirement, the terms and conditions that are going to apply to the contract, what the offer needs to include in their proposal, and how you're going to evaluate their proposal, which factors and sub-factors, and the relative importance between the factors and sub-factors that you'll use in your evaluation as the government. And that's that's the minimum. There can be a lot more, but it, it all depends on the complexity of what you're trying to buy. Okay, so what's happening during the RFP zone? And uh, this is this is when it gets real. So it, this is where I call go time for both sides, meaning that everything that we've built up to this point now we're actually writing in ink. Anyways, a lot of this was in pencil. A lot of this was movable. A lot of the you know we didn't lock the cells on the on the or we didn't lock the cells in the Excel file. You know now it's it's this is this is what we're going to use to award the contract. So go time for, for government says, okay, for this is this is the acquisition strategy we've locked in. Unless we change something through amendment, we can't change anything. And then even then, like we talked we just talked about, if it's a major change, it can create other issues. 
So it, we're kind of at the point where we've locked this in. From the industry side, in theory, you would have already made your go, your go no go that decision, your bid no bid decision. However, if you haven't, now is the time that the, the clock is ticking. The hourglass has, has turned over. It's time to move out. Practice time is over. And then the other part is the temperatures change. And, and you've, I think you heard that at one of the other podcasts we talked about. When you, when you cross into the RFB zone, it, temperature's a little bit different over here. Everything's much more serious. Everything is much there's, – there's no informal communication. Uh, whenever a contracting officer gets an email from somebody and answers a question, they got to answer that question to everybody. For example, I would kind of steer away from – is I know people don't like to hear this, but I'll be honest, this, this is all about being open kimono here. I used to steer away from the phone when my RFPs were dropped. Because whatever question I answered to somebody on the phone, I had to reword that. And I would finally say, you know, I, I, please submit questions via, via, in writing because that, they need to be able to you know, basically Yeah, pop. I think a lot of RFPs say now the only communications can be through this email address. I've seen some of them set up specific uh, program-specific yeah, exactly. email addresses, aliases uh, for it and say, don't call, use this just right. to, to prevent that problem. And, and it's funny, I, I worked in an office where we didn't have caller ID and I got trapped a couple times on the phone and I had to kind of be very curt with them and say, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, sorry, I thought you are my wife <laughs> yeah, it's, it's telling me the kid was sick. You know? <laughs> and you know, I'm walking through a minefield in this conversation because I'm, I'm, I don't want to be rude and go, can't talk, click. But really, it's kind of how it feels. So <laughs> that's, the temperature is different right, on both sides. Um, and, it's, and it's very frustrating for industry because you just want to get your question answered. Yep. But this is the process like we just talked about. Um, so industry, it's decision time. You know, the sooner you decide, the better, the sooner you do your bid, no bid, the better it, it, that's, it's time on the government side. This is one of the things that I, I wish I'd understood more clearly. So this is a big flag out to the contracting officers. One hour spent during this phase equals 12 hours, six hours, two hours, a higher number of hours during the source selection and, and cynically put the protest zone later. Yeah. Is if they don't understand and or for that matter, if you don't understand their question, that was always a fun one, is that the question would come in and I'd think, well, okay, I think I understand this. And then the program manager and the and the lawyer will be looking at it going, I think what they are asking is this. And so you try to answer it, and that all eats up time, right? Yep. But it's frustrating to go, well, we'll just tell them to look in section L. Yep. Take the time to make sure everybody on both sides understands what you're trying to do during the RFP zone. Because if you get into the source selections after proposals are submitted then you get to a mess. And we'll, we'll talk about what kind of mess that can be when we uh, get to zone four, the source selection zone. But, uh, but th- that, that's a great rule. I don't, I don't think there's a there, – the math isn't, isn't uh, always exact, but definitely one hour spent here equals some greater number of hours later uh, that you're saving. And, th- and this, is, this is another one of those spots where as a contracting officer, your instinct is to keep moving. Your customer says, oh, the RFP is out. This is going to be done soon. Um, industry's expectation is with the RFPs out, so we're going to stay on schedule. And, and like I said before, you want to stay on schedule. So everything is driving you to just hurry up and get this done. Where in reality, it, trust me, yeah. <laughs> if you can carve out the time and, and just take a deep breath and go, okay, we have to extend it a week, even if that's going to cause other yeah. issues. If you think you're saving, staying on schedule by, by skimping out in this phase, uh, you're fooling yourself because you really blow the schedule if, if, if this turns out to be a real problem in the source selection zone. And I, and I, this is a thing for me because I've screwed this up. Yeah. I think, off the top of my head, I can think of two times that I didn't take the extra effort to answer that question. And lo and behold, it was like a little, it was like a little landmine stuck in my contract. It blew up, you know, after award when somebody said, well, when you said you wanted it to be green, I'm making this up, but you get the point. When you said you wanted it to be green, I thought you meant hunter green and what you actually meant was lime green. And I'm like, 
but the product. Oh, line no, <laughs> that's it, what I think. Yeah, exactly. And you're thinking if I had just answered that yep. line green question, which would have taken me an hour, <laughs> you know, two months ago, yep. I wouldn't be here. So I've yep. screwed this up enough that I, yep. I encourage you not to screw it up. <laughs> so let's get deeper into to what is industry doing, and then we'll talk about what is government doing. So, so at this point, industry is reading the RFP, and I mean reading the RFP every single word. If there was a draft RFP, they're they're comparing the two uh, to make sure that there weren't any changes. Uh, snuck i'll say that snuck in there uh but which doesn't happen i I mean if if the government's changing stuff without clearly telling the industry that yes we changed this part and this part and this part that's not good but industry is reading every word because every word matters so you know we talked in depth about section l and section m in a you know previous cast but this is where they're they're making sure they understand exactly everything that they have to submit, how they have to submit it, when they have to submit it. This is, this is when they're, they're going over the, the evaluation criteria again and again to make sure that, that they have their own evaluation of, of how important things are. Um, so n- not just reading the RFP again, but this is where you're writing the proposal. And this is that there's, there's way too much to talk about about what goes into writing a proposal and some of the myths and uh, and funny stories that that's that's a different episode altogether. But in my experience, the, the kind of business that I've I've worked in most of the time is industry. Writing the proposal, you you're in final draft by the time the final RFP hits. It, it you're you've been writing stuff for the proposal since the RFI phase, all through the draft RFP phase. This is when you're 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 all in and and going 24 7 wrapping stuff up but the the proposal is largely written by the time the final rfp is is released and that's something i totally didn't understand when i was a co but but i think kevin i think you have some different experiences with that because we've kind of argued about this one and oh and it's a great example of why this is an art not a science is it on on major programs with like nine or ten digits to them yes a lot of so much of the work is done ahead of time because you know what's going on, your your focus. I mean, you know, big businesses are, are tracking huge proposals. Smaller companies, you know, the contract is ex- contract is expiring. And I've gotten some feedback from from some of the contracting officers on the on the podcast groups. And what they say is they don't always do a draft RFP. Sometimes they go RFI straight to R, to proposal. I mean, RFP. And sometimes they do a draft. Sometimes they don't. Well, the big ones you're talking about, they go through that whole cycle. Right. Right. They have five, there's only, say, 10 companies that can actually do this, and they want to make sure all 10 of those companies are in the conversation. Whereas a lot of the smaller stuff, like I'll you know, go back to some of the services, some of the, the uh, IT support, uh, equipment that I've bought, there were probably 50 companies that could make it. And they've all been somewhat aware. They've been to conferences. You know, they know generally what we do. They knew that we were, this RFP is going to be coming out because we told them a couple of months ago. But they're probably have a general idea of what they're going to write, but they haven't really started to write it out. And here's the other difference is that for a smaller one, it may be a 10, 20 page proposal. What you're talking about that something has 10 digits. I mean, just the pricing volume, maybe 50 pages or a hundred. I mean, it's crazy. That, or you know, 400 or four. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so been it, there. It, yeah. So there's, there's a, that's what makes this, this, this field very interesting is, is on one hand, you could have a $2 million RFP that, yeah, you could probably put together your, your, 10-page proposal in this 30 days very effectively if you know the agency ahead of time. Let's clarify that part. Or you have one that 
a 400 page pricing volume is not something that if you don't start long before the RFP drops, you just can't figure out your overhead rates in time. So yeah, this is, this is a lot of art and science to it. But the big thing is everybody's all in. That's kind of, yeah, that's a, that's a good way of saying it is that at this point in the game, if, if you're going to win this thing, you need to be all in. So as a contracting officer, this isn't something that they're probably just fitting in around. This is like the 10th thing on their list. Or if it is, you'll tell when, when the proposal is subpar. But a lot of times they're dropping other things. They're giving up nights and weekends. They're, yeah. So they're, remember this, COs, when you release that, that RFP two days before Thanksgiving uh, and then, you know, thoughtfully give them till January 2nd to get the proposal in because uh, – that way they can take some holiday time off. Ha ha, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it, it, this, yeah. is, this is giving up n- nights, weekends, holidays, or whatever. The, the industry teams on these big things work as close to 24-7 as the human body can take from the day the RFP is released until, until they submit that proposal. Yeah, that's actually a good point is that I used to submit it. I used to put the RFP out like, I don't know, say the week before Christmas and then give them an extra two weeks on the end, assuming they're not going to work Christmas. But Guess what they are. They just took two more weeks to get it right and work through the holidays. They might have taken uh, the morning of Christmas Day off to watch the kids open the presents <laughs> exactly. or whatever, but then they were back at, back at work. So, yeah, better strategy, release <laughs> it after Thanksgiving yeah. and have it due on December 23rd so that everybody can have a good holiday and just plan that you're going to evaluate it starting in January. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. That counts for all holidays too. All right, so let's switch. What is the government team doing? during this do, do they release the rfp and then go on vacation for a month until proposals are due because their their part of the job is done no <laughs> <laughs> there's the short answer they're they're waiting on questions and then preparing them to answer them hopefully in a timely manner um and and i say hopefully because it's very easy to say we're going to answer them as fast as we can but so you under so industry understands it again this is going to be agency specific but my experience from the agencies that i worked for the contract or the contract specialist gets the email. And then that email is sent to me as a contracting officer. And I look through it and say, is this an easy one or a hard one? In other words, you know, is it something like there's a, there's a typo or is it a, a real question that I have to talk to the program manager? So the program manager looks at it. And then depending on where you work, the operations person, in other words, the, the user says, hey, don't give away our, our strategies. Don't, you know, don't talk about how the jet, how fast the jet can actually fly or what this body armor is used for, you know, whatever. I want to show it to them. Right. Then I'm going to show it to the security guy and say, well, does, does the way that I'm answering this question reveal anything about our overall – again, this is Special Operations Command, so it's a different animal. But it, this is an extreme point, but you get, you get the story. i got to show it to the special security folks and say, does the way I'm answering this question give away anything that we don't want just the average person to be able to see? Because remember, this is going on, on the internet. Any, even the bad guys in the world can see it, right? And then it has to go to legal, and of course – there's all kinds of consequences to that. And then it's going to come back to me as a CO, and it's kind of like the telephone game at this point. It's like, okay, did it get tweaked or changed? All right, so I'm counting. That's that's six people that may have had to chop off on a to, to answer one question. Right. And, and that's an extreme example. That would be something like, can we give you an alternate proposal for this? <laughs> right. That, right. That's a big one. Right? As opposed to, okay, a lot of them are going to be easier. I'll, I'm well, in a lot of places, they might not even have that many levels. You know, they, if it, In many acquisitions – the the CEO is is in charge of that stuff and and has hopefully the experience but uh, the the authority to just answer the questions boom 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 but but yeah, yeah I've been exactly. I've been through what you've been through too 
and that this is this is a great conversation for as we start to get contracting officers more engaged in the conversation is that they may be the only one that answers it or they may go through legal or it may go through their customer and legal i mean it's a combination of all these things but it's important for the for the offerers to understand that there are some questions you can just answer but there are also probably half of the questions you can't just say yeah the answer's four and put it out there because that you know it's like you're throwing a rock in the pond and you want to make sure that the waves aren't going to you know, like, topple uh, over something. I like how you picked half out of the air. Yeah, I just made that up. Yeah, may not be half. Don't write, don't write that down. No. <laughs> so what, what's really hap- – what, what should be happening, the government side here, is the, – the problem is that you get questions that come in. Some of them are just I'm going to answer that, but you really need to, to think about the impact of that question on your strategy. And, you know, uh-oh, is this something where we need to um, actually amend the RFP or can will the, just the answer to the question be enough? To uh, to have the offers change change their response a little bit, you you got to consider whether or not it's worth extending the either the proposal period or you know your your whole acquisition schedule as a result uh, because of the questions you're getting. And if you get enough questions, releasing an amendment could could take a little time itself because again, releasing an amendment may if you're in the wrong or right place. You may have to go through those those potentially six or eight or ten different levels of review to to release an amendment if it's if it's a major acquisition and a major amendment. So that and, that can take time it, itself. It's not like uh, you push a button and the thing hops out. And and even if it's a small, say it's a I don't know, pick a number, five million dollar uh, contract, it's still more often than not it's going to go through a division chief or an attorney or somebody else is going to look at it right so which means you got to tell what you, you as a contracting officer need to tell the story of i want to change this part of the rfp because of this question and you got to get somebody to buy off on that and which goes back to if you listen to podcast uh, number seven about when you know, contracting officers and approval authorities and what do you have a whole, list you have these numbers memorized I, well that's probably prep for these <laughs> things man. so we're ready to actually be useful as opposed to just winging it. Uh, and but the whole idea there is that this isn't more often than not. This isn't just a contracting officer going, oh, I'm going to change this and poof, off they go. I mean, there is a process. So there's a process for the question. And then if that question results in an amendment, that amendment probably has to be reviewed. And I, I can think of a couple of examples that, for example, on a contracting officer at SOCOM, I think my, my authority to just do stuff with only myself and the contract specialist without anybody else looking at it, depending on the circumstances, was roughly a half a million dollars where like nobody looked at it, like not even a lawyer. So, which is scary as a taxpayer, but that's a small number if you think about it. But then if it's three to five million or $20 million RFP, a couple of people need to look at it. And, and again, we want that as, as a taxpayer, you want yep. that as a, as the, the person who is putting the effort into this proposal, who wants to make sure that you, you have a really good chance to win the work. You kind of like the idea that it's not just a, con- a gunslinger contracting officer making stuff up. Yeah. And there's, so, those levels are completely different every, everywhere you go. Yeah, you know, we talk about it, that. It's totally, totally linked to to agencies and and to the kind of stuff that's being bought. And it's yeah, but five hundred thousand dollars might be either a whole lot of authority or very little authority, depending on where you are. So going back to to what is the government team doing here? One of the big jobs is planning for the source selection, and hopefully, some of this is done before the RFP is released, but. You do have to find a place to sequester a team to to do this these evaluations because you kind of need to lock people down and get through it as fast as you can. So you got to find a location and figure out where where you're going to put put the evaluation team, 
You have to build a schedule for how you're going to evaluate things. You have to finalize who's going to be on the team. Hopefully you have a good idea ahead of time of who your evaluators and your advisors are. And you, you probably know by, by regulation who the source selection authority is. The person that actually makes the decision might be the contracting officer, might be like the director of the agency, depending on, on what you're buying. But um, finding that team and then locking them down for for your schedule saying, yeah, there's going to be six weeks where you need to be here all the time evaluating this stuff. Then you get to, well, there's a holiday and then, uh, yeah, that's my vacation and all that. So it, 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 it can be hard just to find a team of, of competent people that, that, uh, but not competent, but well, yeah, yes, competent, but that's not the word I meant. What I meant was the, the proper expertise in what they're evaluating finding all those people and getting them available can be, can be tough but then you got and then you need to train the team on hey here's here's the evaluation software we're going to use because they may never used it before here's here's what source selection evaluation means here's what you do here's how you go about evaluating and that's again another episode feel like i say that every week (laughs) yeah and and i'll say one thing in there as far as the training the source selection is things like telling them about the procurement integrity act of what they can and can't do and how the temperature Quit is playing changing. golf with, with offer B yeah, or, or when that, or when offer B emails you, you need to, um, I didn't read the procurement integrity act before I sat down here, but I'm pretty sure the way <laughs> it is if, if you're an evaluator on a source selection and one of the offers emails you, whether they know you're on the team or not, you need to let the contracting officer know because that potentially could create, that's a rock just got thrown in the pond. Yeah. So that, just knowledge of those and there's a list of steps like that but that's just one example of things you need to educate them on yep so another good thing to note is that the folks on the evaluation team just just the evaluators and the advisors let alone the decision maker that they aren't usually identified to industry it's it's usually hidden i don't know that there's any uh hard and fast rule maybe maybe there is but but uh you you don't want to identify hey this is the decision maker for this acquisition because then that person gets bombarded with those phone calls and emails and drop buys and and even just the the evaluators for the the management section or the the tech you know a single technical factor you don't want to make clear who those people are now industry figures it out right when when a guy puts out an email uh, out of office thing that says I'm going to be out of office evaluating a source selection for the next six weeks. <laughs> they, they can usually guess that he's on that team, but uh, but it's not blatantly identified anywhere, or shouldn't be. Good point. Yeah, and then I guess the last thing here is that after all the questions are in, in theory, all the questions are. This is kind of the best case scenario. After all of the questions are, are answered, and we're in the last like two weeks before the proposals are due. That's probably, in my experience, those are the times that I just I took a break. I said, okay, now is the time to go back to your regular job, administer the rest of the contracts that you actually have. Yeah, because it's – you know, I, don't, I don't remember usually getting completely called off just to do a source selection. There's always other stuff to be doing. Yeah, very, very often there, there are other contracts you're managing, and yeah. now you're managing the source selection on top, and then you go back to other stuff. But the point is you're taking a break from this program because in that last week or so – that that you know, the real crunch time before the RF before the RFP closes and you go into source selection, if, the, if most of the questions should be answered, you're still going to get random pop ups. I mean, it, things happen really. But uh, yeah, I remember that last week. It was kind of like um, 
you're 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 waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. Because <laughs> once right. you enter source selection, it's another whole phase. You might so. have a little window right after you release the RFP before the questions start pouring in uh, to, yeah. to take a breath. And you that the very last few days, last week, whatever, before the proposals due, you might have a chance to take a breath. But then you go then then it's the government's turn to go all in and get those things evaluated and stick to their schedule. Yep. And uh, that's that is a total. That's another soapbox that I'm going to stay off right now. But, Until our next uh, pot. But the government, if they make an evaluation schedule, they need to stick to it. It causes all kinds of of issues, not only with industry from a money perspective, but from a, a satisfying your mission perspective. There's lots of things that happen when the source selection takes three times as long as the government announced it was going to take. But, uh, but step, get off the soapbox. Yep, you're jumping ahead. We'll done. talk about that next time. Done. Yeah, so that's a good place to wrap it up. So we talked about what an RFP is a little bit. We talked about what is in the zo- in the RFP zone from the RFP release until the day that proposals are submitted. Talked about what kind of communications are allowed during this phase. It's kind of locked down. Talked about what industry is doing and what the government team is doing during the zone. I think that's good. Next cast, we'll move into the source selection zone and get into more details about what happens during the actual source selection evaluation. Exactly. And, and honestly, if anybody out there who's has been involved, obviously lots of you have been involved in this process, and we'd love to hear your, your stories because you and I have a perspective of our, our own, right? Yeah. And there are lots of other perspectives on what kind of stories are out there, what kind of things have happened, what kind of things have gone well and not so well. And the war stories aren't just to you and me. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's all good fodder for sharing with, you know, we, we will certainly share war stories in future casts. And, and if you want to keep it uh, under the radar, meaning not attach your name to it, in other words, then you know, send us an email directly, and you know, that way we'll, <laughs> we won't put it on you know, LinkedIn with your name attached to it. Right. But yeah, this is the, the goal is to make this system better, and this is our first crack at that. So thanks. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later, Kevin. That's it for this week's episode. Next week, we'll wrap up our series on the acquisition time zones with Zone 4, the Source Selection Zone. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, go to our website at contractingofficerpodcast.com, hit the contact button, and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening.